Welcome to TV7 Israel's podcast. We invite you to listen and share our latest content from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to Editor's Note. I'm Yair Pinto, and together, as always, with me in the studio is TV7 Israel Editor-in-Chief Jonathan Hessen. How are you doing today? Very well, thank you. It's a blessing to be here as usual. Yes, and it's really good uh, to have the ability to sit here and discuss deeper the situation and the events that we you know, recorded and shared with our viewers throughout the weeks uh, with Israel News. But before mm-hmm. we dive deeper into, into all the, you know, the details, the interesting stuff that's going on, let's uh, start with prayer. And I would like to ask you, our viewers back at home, um, to open your hearts and to join me in prayer that God will be with you and bless this program. Our Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity and the privilege to be here with you, to be here together, uh, your followers, and to really seek uh, your word and your uh, guidance to help us go through these difficult times that we are hearing in the news that we have uh, that are going on in Ukraine, in Russia, and all over the world. We pray that you really speak to us and bless these people in need in these countries. Bless our viewers, bless Jonathan, bless our team here in Jerusalem. Hashem Yeshua Mashiach. Amen. Well, Jonathan, um, also last editor's note, we discussed and better explained the implications of the Russia-Ukraine uh, crisis. What, what has changed since then? Well, uh, not much. More of the same, I must add. Uh, the Russians are uh, quite vigorous in, in maintaining the line of what they're doing. People uh, don't understand that uh, they have employed currently only 75 aircraft out of the hundreds at their disposal. They have utilized uh, the deployment of uh, forces that are not their even secondary tier forces. Really? So they're holding back on their military power? They are holding back quite significantly. The best forces at the disposal of the Russian military uh, are at standby. Uh, they are available to Sergei Shoigu whenever Vladimir Putin uh, decides that uh, it is the time to ratchet up mm-hmm. the pressure uh, on Ukraine. But uh, strategically speaking, tactically speaking, uh, the Russians are very clear in their approach to the conflict, which, uh, you know, on the, on the one hand, it indicates a certain rationale, you mm-hmm. know, the, the repeated... Um, defamation of, of trying to depict Putin as an unrational person uh, is just not true. Uh, there is a clear understanding, there's a clear strategy. Uh, Russia has goals in mind. They're not clearly understood by the West. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we talk about a chess game, so yeah. to speak, um, this is multidimensional chess. Uh, and sometimes uh, the the opponents, uh, the contenders on on uh, such a chess playing field, uh, forget the other dimensions that they should pay attention to. So sometimes 
they may find themselves disoriented mm -hmm. uh, to the aspects of what should happen. Putin planned this invasion in advance because we see the response of, of the West, especially the United States, with all these very severe economic sanctions on Russia. But it seems like, you know, okay, so the Russian economy is hurting. We can see, you know, the, the, their currency going down and compared to the dollar and compared to other currencies. But they are still doing what they want. It's like they came prepared for this. Uh, they came prepared for this. Look, uh, over the years, if we're going down to this uh, um, line of, of thought or, or the school of thought mm -hmm. of what uh, uh, was planned and what was not planned, uh, ultimately entering into this war was pre-planned, premeditated, and clearly designed in order to sustain within times of significant fiscal pressures uh, from international sanctions that mm -hmm. are uh, quite vigorous at this stage. They're, they may even become worse. Um, we just saw this past week, uh, the United States uh, follow suit after the United Kingdom announcing that they will no longer accept any form of energy from Russia. Um, and opposed to the United States and the UK that are able to do so, there are specific countries uh, within Europe and within the NATO alliance that cannot because they do not have sources of energy. Um, mm -hmm. Take uh, the Netherlands, for example, where it had vast um, natural gas uh, reservoirs, both offshore and onshore, uh, that uh, the Dutch government was forced to seize operations because of earthquakes happening in the northeastern uh, part of Groningen. Mm -hmm. So even though uh, Europe does have uh, the, the resources to tap into, uh, it is still quite challenging. The prices of, of oil are rising rapidly. Yeah, and it's going to impact the whole, the entire world. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. understand. And even more than that, like, it's not like changing your supplier of any <coughs> other goods because pipelines are installed. You need to create new ones. You need to tell the factories to, you know, extract more natural gas. So these things takes time. And in the meanwhile, you cannot have a city, a town, a country without power, without electricity. Indeed. So even though, you know, these sanctions affect Russia, still it has a safe guarantee for the short run to have its um, economy, you know, sustained by natural gas, by energy to Europe. Indeed. in other countries. Well, yeah, you know, it's, again, there, there is much misinformation out there about, uh, about the situation in Russia, the, the situation around the world, uh, and in particular in, in Europe and in Ukraine. Uh, I, I really want to focus one moment on mm -hmm. the aspects of Russian society contending with this new reality. We hear uh, quite the influx of people leaving Russia, mm -hmm. young people who are eligible to be suddenly drafted into the military uh, after already serving their two years, which is mandatory under Russian law. Then you have uh, from St. Petersburg to, uh, to Moscow, uh, multiple people that are in dire difficulties, fiscally speaking. Mm -hmm. Now, to say that, you know, because they, they blocked Facebook and Twitter and YouTube, that there are no alternative social media platforms, I'm very sorry, but um, I, I will not 
turn into French when we're speaking about this uh, uh, context. But specifically, there is a Russian version of, of social media mm -hmm. on all levels that uh, we have from the, the multinational yeah, corporations the from, from the United States. So uh, there's plenty circulating there. And ironically speaking, those same Russian-speaking platforms are utilized by both Ukrainians and Russians. So there is plenty of information circulating there. And, and uh, the people in Russia are quite aware of what is happening. It doesn't mean that there is no crackdown against opposition directed at the government. Such a crackdown, by the way, will occur in any country around the world mm -hmm. at times of war uh, for national security reasons, of course, within certain levels. But if you'll have now mass um, mass demonstrations during times of war that will threaten the government. Uh, I mean, there are countries, including Canada, for instance, that sought to utilize such a law because of protests against the government's uh, uh, decisions and, and implementations regarding to COVID, yes. uh, which is uh, quite undemogra undemocratic in my perspective and uh, should be vigorously challenged uh, in courts of law mm -hmm. against the decision-making of the government. But we leave uh, this uh, one moment to the side. When we're looking specifically again to the situation in Ukraine, um, the conflict, and this is not to discourage uh, anyone, but the moment the Russians decide they will take over Ukraine, mm -hmm. they are the upper hand uh, in, in every level of military capacity, uh, military capabilities, the qualitative military edge. While the Ukrainians trained to defend their country, uh, the Russians trained to defeat the, the yeah. United States of America and NATO. This is a complete different, different playing ball field. game. Yeah, and uh, if you're just talking about the United States, uh, NATO, is this war about to change the the world order as we know it? You know, the power struggle between the West and the East. So I, I always go back to the meeting that occurred in Alaska in uh, January of 2021 when Wang Yi told uh, the foreign minister and state counselor of China told uh, Antony Blinken point blank, we're peer nations and we're uh, starting the competition right now. The moment the United States acknowledged mm -hmm. or did not dispute that claim, uh, putting it under the carpet, uh, which may have had different consequences, um, they actually acquiesced and, and uh, recognized the fact that there is strategic competition and have been posturing their entire military to contend with uh, the Chinese question and this strategic power competition. If you listen to CENTCOM Commander um, General McKenzie, who, who uh, uh, already is heading out of, of his post, uh, he's going to uh, be replaced quite soon, uh, the, the references that were made time and again towards the Russians with regard to their military, with regard to their economy, with regard to their posture in multiple areas and capability or ability to sustain such a posture, it, uh, it truly indicated some kind of, uh, in Hebrew we call it a zilzul, yes. uh, which is they, they look down upon the Russians as a has-been mm -hmm. empire 
which cannot deal right now, uh, even in the easiest circumstances. Uh, unfortunately, um, for military terms, at least from what I learned over the years, don't ever underestimate anyone, regardless of their size or their capability. The Russians do not underestimate the Ukrainians. And the Ukrainians most definitely do not underestimate the Russians and are quite familiar yeah. that uh, with current realities that unless NATO intervenes, they have no chance. They have no chance. So you think that this is uh, a play by Putin to put Russia back on the map of this new world order that is formulating with, uh, with the East and the West, China? You know, I, uh, last Friday, this uh, last Friday, we had uh, Powers in Play, which uh, I encourage all of our viewers at home, watch Powers in Play. It, it provides so much insight. And while we have our regular panel, every time we bring different um, uh, panelists, uh, because not always our distinguished uh, panelists are able to make it, nonetheless, uh, we had the opportunity to have uh, a... Deputy National Security Advi uh, Advisor, uh, who served in the past, uh, an equivalent, so to speak, of Iran Lehrman, mm -hmm. um, who couldn't make it last Friday, uh, partake in, in that panel, even though his opinions are much more Western-oriented. Mm -hmm. So you need always to, to notice that uh, every individual has his own orientation to the way he sees the, the best um, path mm -hmm. towards the goals that may be very alike mm -hmm. in, in all um, institutionalized uh, um, government offices that have the capacity to take key decisions in order to bring about uh, mm -hmm. the, the best outcomes for a specific state. Uh, on the other hand, we had uh, Gilshona Cohen, major general, a two-star general, uh, who uh, you know, as a commander, mefaked guys, corpus vivendi, corpus core commander um, of Northern Command for many years, but also uh, with many, his curriculum vitae is, is quite uh, impressive. Uh, he is a person that at times of an all-out war, Okay, everybody speaks about the Northern War, mm -hmm. uh, about Ezekiel 38, Ezekiel 39. The person who will lead the Israeli forces in such a war in Syria and elsewhere is him. Yeah. Okay, so uh, to have such a distinguished person come on the show and provide insight. Um, of course, he met Putin uh, personally, and uh, I've invited him back also for this Tuesday together with another distinguished uh, um uh, security person uh, who, who uh, has also uh, quite the impressive CV mm -hmm. uh, to to communicate about the Syria area of operation. Yeah, so 11, we, we 11 years to the Syria conflict. Indeed, which yeah. will uh, uh, be marked on the 15th of March. Uh, they both will join Amir Oren and myself for such a discussion. Uh, you know, we're looking at, going back to your your question. We're looking back at the the reality at hand, and there are forces trying to challenge the current world order. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, when we hear world order, we immediately think about you know the biblical perspective, new world government, and so yeah. on and so forth. Um, 
there are always going to be challenges to the hegemon, to the Rome of, of each century, okay? And currently, the Rome of the 21st century is the United States of America. So those who seek to dictate the rules of the game uh, to basically take the place of the United States of America are China and Russia. Yes. But Russia knows that currently, within the current state of play, it does not have the fiscal ability to challenge the United States. On the other hand, it does have the military might to deter the West. When I speak about the United States, the United States without Europe is nothing, and Europe without the United States is nothing. But they are not willing to enter a world war, mm -hmm. not for Ukraine and not for anyone who is not an ally. Okay, and this is something that we really need to understand. So when we're looking at this reality, and we understand the, the uh, position in which Russia is able to deter, it's able to invade Ukraine, it's able to uh, invade potentially Moldova or... Poland? Uh, Poland is a, a NATO member state, so... For Poland, Article 5 of uh, NATO's, uh, Article 5 of, of its uh, constitution will be activated, and that means that the United States and all of Europe will attack uh, uh, Russia. And then there is the mechanism, MAD, M-A-D, mm -hmm. which means mutually assured destruction. Again, going back to Putin's rationale, Putin will not start a world war because he knows that if that is the case, there is a, uh, an obligation of the United States to activate MAD, mm -hmm. which basically means to destroy Russia altogether. And this would, of course... Well, cause a nuclear war, war between Russia and the United States and the <clears throat> West in general. Today, there are enough um, projectiles to be able to, uh, to intercept much of this nuclear capacity from the get-go. So ultimately, even if uh, nuclear weapons would be fired, they would be initially intercepted while aircraft would then, uh, or a combined mm -hmm. uh, operation would take out all of the other nuclear capabilities uh, on the Russian side. I don't know what the Russians have in store from the other side. Uh, I wasn't exposed to uh, mm -hmm. glimpses of, of their strategy from that perspective. Yeah, I understand. But uh, going back to the <coughs> Russia-Ukraine uh, conflict, and we always say in this program in, and in all of our programs that everything is connected. Mm -hmm. Okay? So how is the Russia-Ukraine co uh, conflict affecting the Iran nuclear deal? And then we'll go how it affects Israel. Well, uh, you know, the, the talks are taking place in Vienna. Uh, mm -hmm. This week uh, we had uh, quite a dramatic shift because the Russian foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov, suddenly came out and declared that, uh, look, uh, with all due respect, we want guarantees, written guarantees, not yes. just from high uh, level guarantees American from the United States, uh, going from Secretary of State Antony Blinken to President Biden, that the current sanctions related to the Ukraine topic will not impact any uh, possibility of doing business with Iran mm -hmm. over the nuclear agreement. If not, the nuclear agreement has is void. Yes. It has no meaning for the Russians other than um, guaranteeing that Iran will have some sort of scrutiny mm -hmm. on its nuclear uh, 
process or, or uh, progress. Yeah. And uh, even though this watered-down version doesn't really provide much scrutiny, mm -hmm. okay, yeah, the, currently the international community is flying blind when we're talking about Iran's uh, nuclear program. Yes. Now, you know, I, I'm not worried about this piece of document. I'm worried, um, and, and this concern has also spiritual implications. Okay, I'm, I'm concerned about the lack of Western society or the, the unwillingness of Western society to even deliberate the word of actual sacrifice. Mm -hmm. Sacrifice is the key word, the key definition that drives nations to be able to walk away from the table when we're negotiated about vital uh, decision-making with mm -hmm. possibly dire consequences, consequ uh, consequences that have to do with, with lives. Uh, and when we're talking about the war in Afghanistan, when we're talking uh, about the pullout of Afghanistan mm -hmm. and what it basically meant, uh, it signaled basically to Russia and China that we're we're not ready to sacrifice anymore not for third-party nations and we don't want to partake in that now obviously the inability to sacrifice or the unwillingness to sacrifice uh, for the single most important word that drives Western society which is liberty liberalism or uh, personal rights of each individual under a construct of laws is also the the it projects yeah. to to uh, the uh, faith-based communities to the religious communities because ultimately if you cannot re identify with the word sacrifice how can you identify with the sacrifice of Christ mm -hmm. for the people it's just impossible you know so while Russia says basically to the Chinese, going back also to the point that we made earlier, mm -hmm. when uh, the Russians acted, they already prepared everything from uh, diminishing the, the national debt, um, acquiring significant amounts of solid, uh, of gold, of diamonds, of all kind of uh, various uh, precious commodities that are worth uh, finance, yeah, which not are not by affected the yes. by the currency, overly diversifying mm -hmm. to uh, the the Russian uh, currency, to uh, excuse me, to the Chinese currency, yes. to other various currencies around the world, other than the U.S. dollar and the the um, you know the the uh, euro or the Canadian yeah. dollar or Australian uh, Western dollar. currencies, yes, anything to do with that they started to extract quite for some time. Now, uh, Russia is basically uh, telling the Chinese, look, we, we are uh, willing to sacrifice mm -hmm. our fiscal capabilities currently in order to make that shift into a new world order where you will be the dominant fiscal force and we will guarantee security and provide security arrangements within a world post-U.S. dominance. I see. I so see. they're seeking this bipolar 
uh, reality where there is not one world order where every nation uh, is working within a context of cooperating and under uh, America's Western umbrella. But there's going to be now two world orders and each one is going to play out its own interests uh, with its own vessel state, so to speak. Of course, some may call them partners, others may yes. call them vessel state, but they will be committed uh, to, to a certain diagram within that context. Wow. Okay, well, I think that we really need to, to pray into this because you know, God has the answers for this very complicated and big situation. As I always say, God is in control. But we need to pray also that uh, our leaders and the leaders of the major nations that impact us, including the United States, Germany, France, Britain, that they will reevaluate the understanding that sacrifice for liberty mm-hmm. is vital. And the moment they understand that sacrifice for liberty is vital, they will also comprehend that sacrifice for salvation is even more so. Yeah, it is a biblical principle, okay? Indeed. Like, uh, put everything on the cross and follow me. Okay, that's how you get eternal life. Indeed. Um, but we don't have much time, so I want, would like to take it back to Israel. Okay, Israel has been uh, involved in trying to mediate between Russia, Ukraine, also lots of refugees are about to enter Israel from Ukraine. So if you can maybe <coughs> a few points on this and then some prayer points for our viewers. Israel is very hesitant about the refugees. There are about <coughs> estimates of 5,000 uh, who are beyond what Israel is already willing to take mm-hmm. uh, on a regular basis, uh, no time of war, so to speak. Uh, Ukraine and Israel uh, it's quite intriguing because also Ukraine and also Russia don't need visas to come into Israel. And both uh, Ukrainians and Russians who are impacted by this situation are fleeing to Israel. So we suddenly have an influx of both Russians and Ukrainians coming mm-hmm. to Israel. But uh, Israel is a partner to the talks because of its relations with both Kiev and Moscow. Uh, however, the the... Uh, deconfliction mechanism that we're speaking about for Syria um, is not going to Im- be impacted. Mm-hmm. The situation with Ru- between Russia and Israel is not going to be impacted unless the energy offshore reservoirs of Israel will suddenly provide an alternative to Russian energy mm-hmm. sources as being the sole, su- uh, not the sole supplier, of course, we have more than Africa, yeah. but a significant supplier of Europe the major supplier of Germany. If Israel becomes an alternative, it suddenly takes away Russian leverage, and then we may see a a development that cause significant problems for Israel in the future and may indeed trigger uh, some challenges and tensions Mm -hmm. on its northern front, uh, something that Israel very much seeks to avoid. I see. Thank you, Jonathan. Well, this is all the time that we have for today. And thank you, our viewers. Please pray for these topics, for the situation. And we'll see you next time for another episode of Editor's Note. Thank you for joining us in another TV7 Israel podcast. For more content, visit our website at tv7israelnews.com or follow us on social media.